Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatt.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Well, today we continue in a conversation that we started last week, winning the war in our minds. And as we head today into part two, I want to begin by taking a look at one of the most important passages of Scripture on this particular subject, a passage that we actually began to unpack last week. We find it in a letter titled Romans. It was a letter that that Paul wrote, as the title of the letter would suggest, to the early Christian church in Rome. There Paul writes, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, don't act like the world acts. Don't behave like maybe the people around you. Don't think like the world thinks. Instead, be changed or transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want to ask all of us a question. Do you ever make irrational decisions? Let's go ahead, wherever you're watching from, go ahead, put your hand up. I'm putting my hand up because I definitely make irrational decisions. Or or, or how about this? You don't have to actually answer this one out loud. When is the last time that you made an irrational decision? Right? Probably not that long ago. In fact, it was about a month ago. Uh, it was on a Friday afternoon, and I typically try to take Friday afternoons off because Sunday's a work day for me. And so it was a Friday afternoon. Uh, my kids are out of school. The two boys are inside playing, you know, with mom. And uh, my daughter, Logan, she wanted to come with me. The only problem was uh, the back of my vehicle was filled with stuff that I needed to drop off places. And so I'm kind of looking at the back seat of my car, and I'm looking at Logan, and I'm like, all right, but I'm going to have to rearrange stuff and get the car seat out of mom's car and put it in. So I just finally said, sure, Logan, you can come with me. And, and I put her in the front seat of my car. Don't, don't call CPS on me, okay? And so I kind of quickly scoot her out to the vehicle. I put her in the front seat of the car and I justify it in my mind because I'm like, okay, I'm going to be taking all back roads. I'm not going to get on the expressway. But I already know it's not the right thing to do because I'm like whisking her out to the car before mom can see what's actually going on. But mom, her spidey senses must have been going off because she rushes out into the driveway with Logan's water and is like, oh, I didn't want her to forget this. And for a moment, it doesn't register. But then all of a sudden she looks in the vehicle and she's like, why is Logan in the front seat? And I'm like, oh, there's a bunch of stuff in the back. And like, I'm literally trying to like pull the car away so we can just kind of end this conversation. And she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Logan needs to be in a car seat and she definitely can't be riding shotgun. And I was like, oh, no, no, Andrea, it's not a big deal. She's like, Shay, she is not riding around in the front seat of the car. Move the stuff around, put the car seat in the vehicle, put her in her car seat. And then I decided to dig my heels in even further. Well, when I was a kid, and I've romanticized this idea that my dad was driving around on expressways with all the kids in like the the truck bed, like that never actually happened, but that in my mind is what I think that happened. And and I'm like trying to justify it. I'm arguing with her. And she's like, Shay, Logan is not going with you if she is not in a car seat. And me rather than going, you're right and moving stuff around and going and getting the car seat and put it in the back, I instead said, no, then fine. Logan can't come with me. And here's my poor precious daughter looking up at dad going, I, I want to come with you. But instead, I decided to literally kick her out of the vehicle and make her stay home with mom. And away I went running errands by myself. See, I knew in that moment what the right, what the prudent, what the wise decision was, but yet something inside of my brain overrode all of that. 
And I made, admittedly, a very irrational decision. Can, can, can any of you relate to that? Maybe you want to be nice. You want to be kind and gentle with your spouse, your, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your fiance, but yet you end up kind of raising your voice and using that belittling tone. You want to save money, but yet you end up spending. You really want to trust God, but yet there you are, you're still worrying. What is that? Where does that come from? Why, even though we so clearly want one thing, do we decide to do something completely antithetical to that end? I mean, very practically speaking, why do we behave irrationally? It was uh, about two years ago, and I've shared about the, the orange peel, our family boat ad nauseum. Uh, John and Maddie, friends of ours, they, they decided to surprise us with this boat. But up to that point, uh, John had to put all this work into getting this boat ready and refurbishing and making sure that you know it was seaworthy for, for me and my family. And uh, unbeknownst to me, he had taken like all of these test drives to make sure that everything that, that was working correctly. So he gets the engine running correctly, and he looks at his wife, Maddie, and he says, hey, we need to go th- take this thing for a test drive. Do you want to come with me? And she's like, sure, I- I'll go with you. And, and so they get this thing out on Lake Ponema in, in Fenton. Uh, And it was a really busy day. There's lots of other boats out there. Uh, They they take the boat out and very quickly, John realizes there's something wrong with the steering. Right was left and and left was right. And and not only that, there's these waves all over the place and the leafs to support the bottom of the boat to make sure that it isn't bowing the fiberglass beneath the waves. Those haven't been installed yet. And before they know it, literally they have hit a big wave. The the seat that they are sitting in, because there's nothing to support it, has fallen to the ground. They're kind of right around on the bottom of the boat and he in that moment his brain is obviously telling him turn the wheel right and you're going to go right turn the wheel left and you're going to go left again but it's the opposite before he knows he's throwing the thing in neutral he's like what the heck is even going on why did that happen that the cables that the wires were crossed why do we behave irrationally in our minds our wires are crossed Last week, and by the way, if you weren't here for last week, please make sure that you go back and you listen to part one of this series as it lays the groundwork for everything else that we're going to be talking about throughout this series. And by the way, you can catch yourself up conveniently at grumlaw.com slash messages, or you can find us in a Grumlaw church, wherever it is that you grab those podcasts. But last week, we talked a bit about neural pathways. That every single time you think a thought, you are creating a new pathway or, or a mental trail in your mind. And this actually begins at a very, very young age. For instance, a, a baby smiles and then mom, in response, smiles really, really big back to the child and starts talking in that high-pitched tone. It creates a, a neural pathway that communicates to the child, smiling is, is good. If a toddler walks into the kitchen and, and touches a hot stove, a neural pathway is created that tells the child hot stoves are, are bad. If your child begs for McDonald's every single time you leave the house and you reply, I mean, you're confident, no. But then they have that meltdown in the car and so that you end up going to McDonald's anyway, a neural pathway is created that communicates meltdowns equal McDonald's. Neural pathways are being created, and the more you think a thought, and this is for better or for worse, the easier it becomes to think that thought again. As we talked about last week, our minds are battlefields, and most of life's battles are won or lost in your mind. This is, again, why the Apostle Paul encourages us to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. 
Because your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. What comes into your mind comes out in your life. You can't have a positive, a faith-filled life if you have a negative, fear-filled mind. When your wires are crossed, when you don't control what you think, you're never going to be able to control what you do. So today, as we continue this conversation, we're going to talk about some tools, and in the remaining weeks, we're going to build upon these tools. We're going to talk about how we train our minds, which, which I recognize for, for most of us is, is sort of a foreign concept, right? I mean, we give lots of thought to, to training our bodies, to, to our children, to, to even our pets, but chances are you probably haven't given much thought on how you ought to train your mind. For, for, for those of you, for instance, who have attempted to train your bodies, you know this goes beyond working out, running and push-ups and crunches and lifting weights, that, that eventually you're going to get to an age where, where that alone doesn't cut it. I mean, yeah, that physical training, it matters, but, but as important is what you are putting into your body. You smart people, you can see where I'm going with this. When we think about training our minds, it goes beyond controlling what we think we must become oh so concerned with what we put into our minds. So see, for instance, if, if you eat fast food twice a day and a sleeve of Oreos every single night, it's not really going to matter how many sit-ups that you do in a given day. You're going to find yourself in trouble. Similarly, what you pour into your body will either continue to feed the lies, will trick your mind into believing the wrong things, or we can train our minds with truth. It's not just what you do with it, it's what you put in it. Now, as promised last week, you're going to be able to see this progression uh, through the life of the Apostle Paul as he figures this out. We actually get to peer into Paul's mind through many of the letters that he penned to the early Christian churches all over that ancient Mediterranean world. We get to peer into his mind as God renews his mind. Now, now, a little bit of context here before we dive into the particular passage of Scripture we're going to be studying today. But Paul is writing this section from a Roman prison. It's a terrifying position for, for Paul to be in as he awaits his possible punishment, even his possible execution. It, it's sort of, when we look at it, it's worst-case scenario for Paul. But, but there from that Roman prison, he writes this. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and, and honorable and right and pure and, and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Now, now church, I think this is really interesting. Well, let's actually take note of what Paul doesn't say here. Right? Remember, he, he's in a prison. He, he's awaiting punishment. Again, possible death. And, and he's not saying, God, let me down. He's not saying, oh, this is the worst, and it actually kind of is the worst. He's not going, oh, woe is me, my life is terrible. No, no, he's actually saying, think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Uh, other translations here, that they, they use the word meditate. Meditate on that which is excellent and worthy of praise. Now, when we think about meditation in, in its simplest definition, it means to engage in mental exercise or, or to focus, hang on that word, to focus one's thoughts. So, so please, I'm going to ask us, don't get hung up on the word meditate and jump to a new age hippie type stuff. It simply means to focus. As followers of Jesus, we meditate or focus on that which is true and, and admirable and lovely and excellent. 
Or as the psalmist wrote, I will meditate on your precepts. I will meditate, God, on your principles and fix my eyes on your ways. I'm focusing my mind, God, on your truth. I'm training my mind to see your truth. I refuse to think like the world thinks. Or later on, again, the psalmist, I meditate on all you have done, God. I reflect on the work of your hands, on your handiwork. See, meditation, the the meditation that that scripture invites us into, it's not about emptying our minds, which is often what we think of in in, in our modern 21st century terms, but rather it's all about filling our minds with truth and and thus training our minds. And, And as you may or may not know, focusing our minds is a skill. Your mind needs to uncross the wires that have been programmed to believe something that is not true, and you need to focus on that which which is true. Fix your eyes on the things of God. See, see, something that is true of every single one of us, uh, right, is that our minds, they they drift, and it happens quickly. And when you think about it, rarely do our minds drift towards truth, right? I mean, think about it. When you're laying awake at night, and you can't fall asleep, and your mind's going a million miles an hour, is it wandering toward lies or, or truth? Right? It's almost exclusively the lies, fears, and insecurities, and what-ifs, and worry, and you can't, and he won't, and it's not. This is why it's so important that we meditate on God's truth. We train our minds to his truth. And again, it's not a version of truth. It is quite literally the truth. I'd like to continue walking us through an exercise that for some of us, it it won't be easy. If you've been believing a lie for years, maybe even decades, for some of you, for for as long as you can remember, it's going to take some time to uncross those wires. And I think this exercise can be an absolute game changer in our effort to focus on that which is true. As we began to unpack last week, we answer this question, what stronghold is holding you back? Identify that predominant area where your wires are crossed. It might be that feeling of like, oh my gosh, I'm just, I'm never going to get out of debt. I'm always going to be pitiful with my money. I'm always going to struggle with my health. I'm never going to have a meaningful job. It's always going to be a drag. I'm never going to overcome that addiction. It's always going to control me. I'm never going to feel close to God. That, that's something for, for other people, like the spiritually elite. I, I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to meet Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. What neural pathway do you continue to walk down that is not true? Where does the evil one continue to maintain a footing? And then, again, as we mentioned last week, part two of this question, what truth demolishes that stronghold? And not just any truth, but scriptural truth. His living word that has the opportunity, that has the power to demolish strongholds. And here's where we're going today. We want to challenge you to actually put this into practice. When we think about that truth that demolishes that stronghold, we want you to write it We want you to think it, confess it until you believe it. Write it, think it, confess it until you believe it. Just as neural pathways have been created for the lies, have been created for the strongholds, you need to create new neural pathways for the truth. The truth that Jesus himself promises will set 
you free. Your Savior who cares more about your freedom than you and I can possibly imagine. So much so that he would freely offer up his life for your sin. And the more you travel down those new pathways, the easier it will be to walk down those paths again. And conversely, the harder it will be to walk down those old pathways. Now, now I want us this morning to, to look at some examples of, of what this might look like, to write it, think it, confess it until you believe it. Maybe you're sitting here right now and you're struggling to know God's will. You remind yourself that my life belongs to God. Daily I seek him and daily he directs my steps. I know his voice and he leads me to his perfect will. My life belongs to God. Daily I seek him and daily he directs my steps. I know his voice and he leads me to his perfect will. Write it, thank it, confess it until you believe it. Maybe you're lacking in in confidence. You remind yourself that, that my confidence is in Christ and Christ alone. Because his spirit, the living God, lives within me, I can do everything that he calls me to do. Write it, think it, confess it until you believe it. Maybe you're fighting those lustful thoughts and you need to remind yourself that you are not a slave to those lustful thoughts. Because God has purified my mind, I will honor him with my eyes and thoughts. My God is faithful. Even if I'm tempted, he will always give me a way out. Write it, think it, confess it until you believe it. Maybe you, like I often do, are battling worry. Because of Christ, I'm not anxious about anything. I cast my cares on God because he cares for me. I have the peace of God dwelling in my heart and ruling my mind. Identify the stronghold. Identify where those wires are crossed. Then what is the spiritual, the scriptural truth that will set you free? Write it. Think it. Confess it until you believe it. We are creating new neural pathways in accordance with God's truth, not the world's, God's truth. And he promises us that he will renew our minds. I shared a little bit last week about a point in my life about two years ago where I found myself at my lowest of lows. I was anxious. I wasn't sleeping. I was consumed with worry. I didn't realize it at the time. I was struggling with depression. And at the root, there were two primary strongholds. I was number one, I was caring way more about what people thought of me than what God thinks of me. And two, I I was terrified and I didn't realize it as I shared last week until I quite literally wrote it down in my journal. I was terrified of failure. I I was watching friends and and churches even right here with this in this community that were closing their doors and I had come to this place that that Grumlaw was gonna be next, that, that, that I was in over my head. But by the power of God's truth, I have been set free. I have experienced incredible healing in those two areas. But I'd also be lying if I told you that, that those thoughts never resurface. In, in fact, and again, this is just me being very vulnerable. It was after our, our first Christmas service on the 24th at, at our Heartland location that I, I literally found myself in my office playing on the floor with my three-year-old son. And I'd love to tell you it was like I was having this tender moment and I just really wanted to spend time with my son. But no, it was leading up to that second service that I was paralyzed by insecurity. And honestly, everything inside of me, I wanted to walk out the door and I wanted to avoid preaching at that second service. I was hiding from the fear. So what did I do? I did what what I'm advocating for all of you to do in this series. Write it, think it, 
confess it until I believe it. But my worth doesn't come from the approval of man, but, but, but rather the sacrifice God made for me, and he sacrificed everything. I did not choose to lead this church. God chose me. Obedience is the win. My worth does not come from the approval of man, but rather the sacrifice God made for me, and he gave everything. I didn't choose to lead this church. God chose me. Obedience is the win. Write it. Think it. Confess it until you believe it. This matters more than any of us realize because our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. If you don't control what you think, you're never going to control what you do. Church, it's time for each of us to take back our minds. So let us be a people who meditate on what is true and honorable and right pure, lovely, admirable. Identify that stronghold. Identify where those wires are crossed and then replace it with the truth that will demolish that stronghold, that will set you free. Write it, think it, confess it until you believe it. And as a result, as God promises us in his word, you will not be conformed to the pattern of this world but yet you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And again, not by trying harder, not by being smarter, not by more personal effort, but again, by the renewing of your mind. The life-changing, eternity-transforming message of Jesus is the truth, the truth that will set you free. You, you watching right now, you are not your past. You are not what you did. You are who God says you are, and he says that you are forgiven. He says that you are redeemed. He says that you are free. You are not a hostage to your unhealthy thoughts. The weapons you fight with are not the weapons of this world. You have divine power to demolish strongholds. Your God has not given you a spirit of fear or worry, but a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. You are strong and mighty. You have the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwelling inside of you. You are a weapon of righteousness in a world of darkness. You are a chosen image-bearing child of the Most High God. God deemed you so valuable that he willingly, lovingly offered up his son for you. He would have died for you if it was just you. Jesus rose and conquered the grave, all for the chance to enter into a relationship with you. That is how highly God thinks of you, and nothing can separate you from his love.